the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. And I'm coming at you on 860-WGULAM. We are an iHeart station as well, so you can catch me on your mobile phone as you roam around town. And you can get the app from our website at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. You can also listen to me over the Internet at the same web address. So you can dial that up on your computer and click Listen Live between 9 and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, and you got me. I'm all yours, baby. We are the answer, by the way. We are a Salem Broadcasting Company, and Salem Broadcasting has a number of conservative and religious stations around the country. And this is talk radio. I'm not quite sure how they let me on the show or onto the station, but they did. And so you got me. Here I am, the heathen that I am. We are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. Well, I want to read to you first a little clip I read in the Christian Science Monitor. I've subscribed to this off and on over the decades, and find it to be a very interesting and uh, sometimes uh, prescient and sometimes scooping news report, or news reporting vehicle, I should say. And I really enjoy reading the Christian Science Monitor. It gives me a slant on not only our national but our world news and what's going on that we don't get in the mainstream press, so to speak. But I want to read this to you. I thought this was really gripping. And this is from John Yemma, one of the writers for the Christian Science Monitor. Quote, today's headlines will barely be remembered in 2015. I'm sorry, 2115, 100 years from now. What was the Ukraine dispute, the Syrian civil war? Who did you say was running for president of the United States in 2015? A millennium from now, all of the 21st century will be rolled into an era. Remember the 11th century? Me neither. It and a bunch of centuries on either side, all filled with gripping news to the people of the time, are vaguely known as, quote, quote, the Middle Ages. One date alone stands the test of time. Western Christians commemorate it on December 25th, Eastern Christians on January 7th, and much of humanity divides history into before and after it. The durability of Christmas is not because it was spectacular, 
It marks a quiet birth in a backwater of the Roman Empire. But century by century and heart by heart, the extraordinary life of the child born that day has been changing the world by awakening humanity to wonderful news, the eternal promise of, quote, on earth peace, goodwill towards men, end quote. Very prescient. That was by John Yemma in the Christian Science Monitor. And whether you believe Jesus is God or not, whether you think he was a great guy or a prophet or whatever, you got to give him his due. His birth date has withstood two millennia now. Quite a feat, quite a feat. And the message was very simple. Be nice to each other. Be of goodwill. And we try to remind ourselves of that at this time of the year. You know, I was surprised to find out talking with Ishmael, my uh, Moroccan student at the office, studying to be a physician assistant, and he told me that they celebrate Christmas in Morocco, that a lot of Muslims celebrate Christmas. And I've heard this from Pakistani Muslims. I've heard this from Muslims from several different countries, and they see Jesus as a great prophet. Now, regardless of how you view him, God, prophet, great guy, mama's boy, whatever, the fact that it's celebrated by a third of the world is, to me, really unbelievable. And it's a good thing. I'm not saying I could ever be a pacifist or turn the other cheek, but I think it's something that, as a species, we're going to have to strive for. Otherwise, we're going to destroy ourselves with our weaponry. Well, having said that, let me jump into what I want to talk about today. Great Britain, the European Union. You say, what the heck does that have to do with us, Doc? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is extremely important because of war, trade, economy, our own security and survival. You know, the European Union, the 28 nations that compose it, and I've said this in the past, they're now the largest economy in the world, if you take all 28 nations together. That includes Great Britain and Ireland. Now, Great Britain's going to vote on whether or not they're going to stay in the EU. You say, well, how big is this? Well, they're our number two trading partner. By the way, we have a a deficit there, a trade deficit, as of October of 2015. For this year alone, it was, oh gosh, $125 billion. A lot of cash, baby. A lot of cash. I wish I could get about 1% of that. It's a huge trading partner, and it's among the top three, obviously. EU, United States, China. Our major trading partners are the EU, Canada, China. So we do have a dog in this fight. Now, the Union evolved from World War II, the ashes of World War II, when several nations got together and said, listen, if we stick together rather than fighting each other, as the Europeans are wont to do, then we can establish a stronger buying 
group. We can buy things in quantities bigger than each state or each nation, pay less. We can also keep an eye on each other and see how much you're buying of what we buy collectively. And so it, it came out of that. It came out of World War II as a means of trying to keep the peace in Europe as well as helping out economically. And now it's grown to 28 nations. And the evolution is still going on. It's a funny union. You know, it's, it's a lot like our confederation before we had our constitution in, in 1989, 1789 ratified. It's a loose organization. They do have some laws that supersede the national laws. And to participate, you have to agree to certain things. A lot of it has to do with tariffs, import and export duties. Of course, that doesn't exist for most of the goods that the European Union trades within itself. It also has to do with providing workplace safety and security, job security, a lot of unionization kind of stuff, things that we might have a problem with, as well as going green. These are all parts of the European Union's mission, and they actually have some accords written down. Well, how will this affect all of us, and why should we care? Most of us, believe it or not, are of European descent. I know that my father's family came from Romania, my mother's family from Poland. Most Americans are of English, Scotch, Irish, German blood. Not everybody, of course. And our religious beliefs are predominantly what the Europeans believed. We are still predominantly, believe it or not, a Catholic country. Over 20% of the voting population was born Catholic in this country. Guess what it is in the European Union? 48%. 48% of those 28 nations are Roman Catholics. And there's also some Eastern Orthodox mixed in there. Protestants, 12%. Other Christians, 4%. Muslims, 2%. 1% of of different smaller religions like Judaism, Sikh, Buddhism, Hinduism. Non-believers or agnostics are 16%, and atheists are 7%. So this is still predominantly a Catholic country or a Catholic union. The European Union is predominantly Catholic. And, of course, their beliefs reflect what they learned as Catholics that there should be equality and freedom, that there should be respect for the little guy and everybody should participate, and thus the basis of unions and the basis of the green movement, take care of the earth. We're in a position where we need to work with them closely, and we need to do everything we can to encourage them to stay together Emotionally, I'd like to see them fall apart just to prove a point. But intellectually, that makes no sense. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Now, their age groups are pretty much the same as ours. They've got over a third of their population that's 55 years or older. So they have an aging population like we do. Their growth rate is almost zero. We've got them beat in that area. 
It was 0.25% in, in 2015. As opposed to 2.5 migrants per 1,000 people coming in. And the migrants, as we know from all the recent news, are from North Africa and the Middle East predominantly, escaping tyranny or poverty or whatever and trying to get into the more affluent European Union. And by the way, the Europeans are struggling. They're struggling not only with the absorbing of these people, these immigrants that are coming in, but also with their own economy, which is stagnant. Their interest rate is negative. So if you want to put money in the central bank in Europe, you got to pay them. They're not going to give you interest. You have to pay them to hold your money. And that's a, that's a concept that's really foreign to us. I mean, we, we wouldn't even dream of that. What are you, crazy? I'm not going to give you my money and then pay you to hold it for me. They have a lot of disparity in their makeup. They have eight different political parties, major parties, that are putting forth candidates to run for their parliament, their European Union parliament and from 28 different countries and dozens of languages, although the predominant language is German. About a third to a half of the people speak German as their national language. And believe it or not, more people speak English. So English is the most common, commonly spoken language other than the national language, say Italian or Spanish or German or Dutch or whatever it is, it's unbelievable. And when you travel in Europe, you're struck by the number of people that can actually speak and speak fluent English and speak well. Quite an impact Great Britain's had on the world, huh? And so now Great Britain's thinking about leaving. The conservatives have promised to hold a referendum this year or next year. I say this year, I mean 2016. And of course, it's important that this be considered and weighed by the British people because it's going to impact their, at least in the short term, their financial, social, political structures. It's going to alter the influx and outflux of people, people coming from the continent to Great Britain to work and vice versa. And they're interlocked with a number of companies on the main continent, such as Airbus. And for those of you who don't know what Airbus is, it's the European answer to the Boeing aircraft industry here in the United States. And they're selling their products all over the world, and more than Boeing, I might add, surprisingly. Now, their, their income is less than ours. Average is $38,000, $39,000, $40,000, and we're around fifty to 52000 now. Their savings is not great. Compared to the rest of the world, they're number 93 They've only saved about 19 to 20% of their gross domestic product. Sound familiar? 
sound like anybody you know, and of course they're in debt. Perhaps not as much in debt as we are, but they're in debt. And they have a negative trade balance, just like we do. They're a lot like us, or we're a lot like them. I'm not sure which. Their importing partners are China, the United States, Russia. Those are the big three in that order. And to a lesser extent, Switzerland and Norway, who are neighbors and have some agreements with the European Union, but are not members. So this is a very unique situation. <coughs> and one that mirrors our own. Because let's face it, we're a child of England and Europe. And they do have disputes, believe it or not. They have territorial disputes Within the European Union, they're cooperating. Their borders are open to each other, most of the states or most of the nations. But they're still scrapping over things like Gibraltar. Can you believe Gibraltar? You know, the big rock that's right at the entrance to the Mediterranean Sea from the Atlantic Ocean? The British have it now. The English own it. The Spaniards say it's there. Some Moroccans say it's there. They're fighting over a rock. I find that interesting. They have no border disputes with their neighboring countries, uh, the 28 nations within the EU. But Estonia is scrapping with Russia over boundaries. Slovenia with Croatia. Remember the Balkan Wars? Clinton's War. They're still scrapping over that. It's fascinating to see that in spite of all the cooperation, there's still nitpicking going on. It's like little kids on a playground. You say, well, what's the impact of that? Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about the wars that have raged. And I'll just go through a few, and I'll touch on a century or two. Now, you may think that world wars are new. They are not. They have been going on since there were two or more continents in contact with each other. And we were pulled into the First World War in what we call the French and Indian War in 1754. In Europe, it was called the Seven Years' War. And basically, it pitted Great Britain, a number of American Iroquois Confederacy Indians, a number of tribes joined in. And as the war progressed, a number of the German states joined Great Britain. The Iroquois Confederacy joined Portugal. And on the other side was France. A number of American Indian tribes, Native American tribes, on the other side of the fence. Austria, Russia, the Spanish Empire, Sweden, Saxony, the Mughal Empire, the Mughals. They're in Asia. What the heck's this all about? So this was a world war, and we were pulled into this. And then we had our own revolutionary war, which also turned into a world war. The whole world was involved in our fight for freedom, the whole world, on one side or another. The French and her allies, and she had an extensive empire, 
the English and their allies, and they had an extensive empire, and they both had friends all over the world. They were involved in Asia, Africa, Europe, North America, South America. This was a big deal. We thought we were fairly isolated in this. We were not. And from that time on, there were wars almost every single year of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. There was a war going on somewhere all the time. And we got pulled into them again and again and again. Let me ask you a question. I'll give away a gift certificate on this. How many wars were fought in the 19th century between 1800 and 1899? How many wars were fought? Just give me an estimate. Or you can tell me how many years of the century there was a war going on. Either one, you give me a call, I'll give you a gift certificate. I'm at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. By the way, if you're just joining the show, this is Dr. Bill, and we're talking about the European Union, and why these folks need to be held together. You know, the British are thinking of leaving, and what are their options, and how will this affect the British as well as how will it affect the European Union. And my argument is that Europe has been fighting among themselves for millennia. Tribal warfares have waged, and then they grew into state warfares, national warfares, if you will, world wars, and we tend to get dragged into them, so we prefer not to be dragged into any more wars, and the best way to do that is to get everybody cooperating. You know, that thing that Jesus was preaching, it seems pretty pretty good, even if you don't believe that he's a god. I mean, you can accept his, his rap, as it were, his message, which is, you know, guys, you got to get along or you're going to kill each other. And that I understand. I got that. I got that. And so what other world wars were going on? Well, in the 18th century, at the inception of our new republic, in the 1790s, 1810, 1815, the Napoleonic, Napoleonic Wars were raging, which involved the whole world. And we had one major conflict after another throughout the 19th century, including world wars. And in the 20th century, we all know World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnamese War, uh, all these things that were going on around the world. And there have been wars going on almost continually. We just saw 20 years ago the Balkans, which is part of Europe, erupt. Yugoslavia broke up and all these folks are fighting each other. And they've been doing this since... They settled there 10,000 years ago or whenever. Only now we got weapons that are capable of, well, wiping us all out, if you will. Do I think that's going to happen? No. I don't believe in a nuclear holocaust. I don't think that's going to happen. That doesn't really worry me. But what does worry me is that the Europeans are scrapping again, and Russia's scrapping with them, 
And the Turks, who have some land in Europe now, as well as in Asia, are scrapping with the Russians. And the Baltic states are nervous, and all the former states of the Soviet Union are nervous, looking at Moscow to see if they're going to march back in and take over again. And, of course, the Europeans, largely Germanic people, are a little bit afraid of the Russians. They've had more than one scrap with them. And the Germans and the Russians have been fighting for control of Europe for centuries. And now Great Britain's saying, well, you know, we might want to leave or renegotiate our terms. A renegotiation I can see. To leave completely, I don't think would be a good idea. I think that Great Britain brings not only to the European Union and the European continent some stability, but also to the world. Her conquest around the world have left law and order, the English language. And for those of you who are Christians, Christian customs and ideals and beliefs have followed. Well, what are their options if they decide to leave? Well, they could do a number of things. There are several options. One's called the Norway option. And by leaving their trading partners in the EU, the European Union, but becoming a member of the European Economic Area, which would give them a lot of the same trading rights, but no vote in the European Union Parliament. Now, the Swiss are, are interesting. They have maintained their independence for five, six, seven hundred years now. No one successfully invaded them, as far as I know, since the 13th or 14th century. I may be wrong about that, but they've been an independent state, nation state, uh, for a long time, longer than most of us, certainly longer than the United States. And the Swiss option is that they didn't join, but they're continually renegotiating their trade treaties with the European Union and with nations within the European Union. Sort of a bilateral, ongoing conversation with the European Union, which completely surrounds Switzerland. The Swiss are surrounded by the EU. Now, Turkey... UK would enter into a customs union with the EU, similar to Turkey, the Turkey plan, the Turkey option. And the Turks want to be part of the EU, but the Europeans are telling them, you have to apologize for killing a million Armenians for little or no reason. Well, the Turks aren't going to do that, so we'll see what's going to happen there. And then the, the Brits could completely withdraw from the European Union. Now, Scotland says if that happens, they're going to break away from Great Britain, and they're going to go with the EU. A friend of mine, British, English, I should say, told me there's more Scotch living in London than there are in Scotland now. There's like two or three million people. So it's not a big, uh, uh, big threat to the British, but certainly it does 
diminish some of their stature in the world, to have different parts of the island breaking away and being their own independent nation. And they fought this for a long time. They have fought the breakup of their island nation for a thousand years. Now, the, if the EU and UK split, if the United Kingdom, Great Britain, the English, if they split away from the European Union and go on their own for trading, then they'll have to fall into the World Trade Organization agreements. And you may not know much about this, and I certainly didn't know a whole lot about the World Trading Organization, but it's fascinating. I did not realize there's like 160 countries in this, including the United States. And there are different ways that you can fall into the World Trade Organization. There is the most favored nation status, treating other people equally. And under the World Trade Organization agreements, countries cannot normally discriminate between their trading partners. So we can't charge a tariff or an import tax on goods coming from Canada when the same goods are coming from China and we don't charge an import tax. We can't do that as a member of the World Trade Organization. Now, within our own little trading partnership, NAFTA, everybody remembers NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement with Mexico, United States, and Canada. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's certainly been beneficial to me. The Mexicans and the Canadians can produce some things cheaper than we can, and we can produce things they can't cheaper. And I like the fact that I don't have to pay as much as I would have to for items like gas, oil, metals. I like that, and I think that's important for us to consider. So within our own little trading group, we can protect ourselves and each other. We can allow Canada to sell us oil with no import tax. But now if we are buying oil from the Saudi Arabians and we're charging a little import tax on that oil, then we have to do it for everybody else we buy oil from, Venezuela, Nigeria, wherever we're getting our oil. So that's one of the ways that the Brits could go. They could just fall back into the World Trade Organization and they could negotiate, hopefully for them, better trading agreements. How would this affect their relationship with the European Union? Well, the European Union is obviously not going to just let them go. They don't want to do that. They want to keep trading with them. They want the Brits to buy their stuff and vice versa. And we want it. We want these people to work together. We don't want them to go out on their own and do whatever they want to do. We want them to cooperate with each other so that we don't have another world war that we have to go and clean up. That's what we need. When I come back, I'll tell you the rest of the story. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.
With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Areas around Dallas are reeling after tornadoes killed at least 11 people and caused significant damage. It is the latest following days of severe, deadly weather in the southeast. Syrian activists say 17 militants have been killed after gathering in a booby-trapped village. Activists say government forces set off explosives planted at a farm where ISIS rebel factions were gathering. Christmas Day was busy for U.S. military pilots involved in the fight against ISIS. The Pentagon says the U.S. hit IS targets in Iraq and Syria with 17 airstrikes using a variety of fighter aircraft, bombers, and drones. And fire crews have managed to block a wind-whipped wildfire before it destroyed any homes along the southern California coast. A scenic highway has been reopened and an evacuation order lifted for dozens of individual homes. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. A child in Syria is being driven from the only home she's ever known. There's no power, no running water, food is running out. There's no medical care. You can help. Project Hope is there providing medical treatment and care to children who have nothing but the clothes on their back. You can save lives. Thanks to Project Hope, $1 saves one life. And families who have left their homes with nothing get the comfort and care they need. Project Hope is there in places around the world providing life-saving medicine and medical supplies to those most in need. Though there is debate when it comes to refugees, one thing is beyond dispute. Children are suffering, and you have the chance to reach out and make a difference for those in need. Your gift of $50 or any amount right now will provide comfort for children who have very little. Call toll-free 844-454-HOPE with your gift today. That's 844-454-4673 or give online at projecthopeairlift.com. Joe, technician from SafeLight Auto Glass. My last customer was a busy mom with lots to do until she noticed a big crack in her windshield. She didn't want to drive with her baby in that car, so she scheduled online at SafeLight.com. No one makes replacing a windshield easier. Plus, she loved how SafeLight emails a photo of the technician so she knew who was coming to her house and how soon. Call 1-800-800-2727 or go to SafeLight.com. SafeLight Repair, SafeLight Replace. Periods of clouds and sunshine, very warm, today's high 85. Partly cloudy, warm tonight, low 74. A mix of sun and clouds, warm tomorrow, high 84. Partly sunny, warm on Tuesday, high 84. That's your Iraqi weather forecast. I'm Jason Stevens for AM860, The Answer. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and I'm talking about 
Well, a number of things. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, how this guy's legacy has survived over 2,000 years now, and how the message of peace and goodwill towards men is as pressing today as it was 2,000 years ago, perhaps even more so. I'm talking about the European Union, the need to help these people stick together as a trading group and hopefully evolve into at least a confederation of states that are not fighting with each other. Great Britain's thinking about leaving. And we'll see how all this pans out. And I started talking about the World Trade Organization. By the way, for those of you who've forgotten your history, Europe has been united more than once. Under the Romans, everything west of the Rhine River was part of the Roman Empire and stayed that way for half a millennium. Under the Holy Roman Emperors, it was again united. Most of Europe was again united as one state or one nation. And so it's come and gone. Napoleon tried to unite Europe, overextended himself a little bit there, and that kind of ended that. But he had a big chunk of Europe into one nation-state. And Hitler tried the same thing. They seem to have a little problem when they get to Russia. That seems to be the Achilles heel for a lot of these men who have had visions of uniting all of Europe into one nation. And, of course, the Russians continue to be a problem for the Europeans. So the Europeans' best bet are to hang together. And even if the British leave the, the European Union, I'm sure they'll negotiate come some kind of uh, favored status and retain most of their relationship, although they will not have a voting voice in the European Union, and their borders will not be open as they are now or as they have been for a lot of the European nations since they agreed to let people come and go once they're inside the European Union. But it's a two-way street. You know, the Brits won't be able to go into Europe without having to check in at, at the borders, so to speak. And the World Trade Organization is a fallback position for Great Britain. And you say, well, what do we care about the World Trade Organization? Well, we've been part of it for over half a century now. This was started back after World War II. And you say, well, why do we have all these trade agreements? Historically, the best way to keep nations and states from fighting each other is to have their economies interlock and to make them in some way, at least psychologically, dependent upon each other. So then they have to work things out. Then they have to sit down and talk because, you know what? If we destroy economies, we destroy jobs. If we destroy jobs, we destroy ways of making money to buy food, clothing, and shelter. And so freer trade, gradually, is hopefully going to make, and in my opinion, is making the world a safer place to live. And you say, well, what about all these terrorists? Well, if I've said, as I've said before, the 
number of Americans that are killed by terrorists is minuscule. It's minuscule compared to the number of people that are killed by lightning or that drowned, or certainly by the 10,000-plus people who are killed by handguns in the United States. And yes, we should fight terrorism. I agree with Donald Trump. We should have a better mechanism for vetting who comes into the country. And we should have more resources expended to keeping tabs on people within our own country who have the potential for this kind of psychopathic killing. It should be broad-based. We should have schools screening the kids. We should have a mechanism for looking at who's going to have problems when they get older, who's going to be antisocial, who's feeling alienated, and try and figure out ways to fix the situation before it becomes a mass murder situation. We need to have some preventive actions taken as well as screening. By the way, I can't figure out how is this guy doing it. I mean, he's gating more and more in the polls. Donald Trump, I'm guessing, is hit a nerve with the American public. And even though these are small numbers, it's the uncertainty of not knowing if this could happen to you or me that makes it so frightening, so anxiety-provoking, so enraging. And, you know, you think about it, you go out on the highway, and you know you're going to run a risk of having an accident and maybe being killed. You know, what do we lose, 30,000 people a year, car accidents, 35, something, something in that area? And maybe 100 to 200 people a year to terrorist actions. Maybe not even that many. Mass murders, if you can include that in there, perhaps. And yet this man has got a big chunk of the population nodding their heads in agreement. A lot of amens out there. And this is a guy who has gone around the world drumming up business, making deals. As I said, I think I said this last week. If I didn't, I'll tell you again. I was with my wife. We were in Korea, and Busan is the port city on the southeastern tip of of the peninsula. And we're driving around looking at the town, and there's a huge project, Trump Towers, in English and in Korean. I mean, this guy has got deals going on all over the world. So I know that he'll understand the value of of trading and the value of having a discourse with nations with which we trade and try and staying peaceful with them. And certainly the European Union has done a great job to this point of holding the Europeans together and not having them fomenting more wars wars that we don't want to be pulled back into, by the way. And so now we've moved on to different areas, the Middle East, Central Asia, and whether our president sees the value in this or not, we're still there. 
And whether you and I think it's a good thing or not, we are still there. And we're not only there, we're in a number of other places that we don't know about. Why? Well, we, we want to cool it down before it turns into a world war. Could ISIS precipitate a world war? Well, of course they could. You know, who would have thought in 1930 that in 1939 Hitler would be taking over Europe? I mean, people just could not conceive of that outside of Germany, outside of the Nazi party. Who could have foreseen that Napoleon, out of the ashes of the French Revolution in the 1790s, would be able to take over power by 1795, 96, 97, somewhere in there, and lead the French to conquer most of Europe? So it can happen. And again, from where I sit, and I'm guessing that from where Donald Trump sits as well, because he's a businessman, he understands this. Keeping trade going between all of us is vital. And I think that the European Union with the British is stronger, even if the British leave, uh, but come in as uh, a plan where they have some favored status within the EU and they don't have tariffs on or import taxes on most of their goods, uh, vice versa, that they trade with the EU, that's still a good thing. There'll still be a conversation, a dialogue going on. And then we have organizations like the World Trade Organization, which, of course, has discourse going on with most of the nations of the world. There's nothing like trade to bind a people together. Nothing like it. And not only does it bind people together, but it encourages other countries to come in and join. And you say, well, this isn't right because then we're not protected. Our industries are not protected. Within our own boundaries and within our own trading groups, we can certainly do something. But once we agree to some of the rules and regulations of the World Trade Organization, then we, we can't do certain things without having retribution from the other countries. And you say, well, you know, cars are so much cheaper if they're made in China. Yes, they are. And we have passed laws saying that even if the parts are made in China, you have to put the car together here or there's going to be a hef heavy, stiff, hefty import tax on that car. And so now we see a lot of the car makers from Asia and from Europe with plants in the United States. And this started back in the 1980s. This has been going on for a while. And there we have a situation where the taxation, the import taxation, is not levied because these cars are made domestically, even though they're made of manufactured parts from different parts of the world as well as from the United States. And that's what we want. We want everybody to be interlocking and to work together. Of course, it has a few downsides. If we're in a slump, if we're in a recession, a lot of the world's in a recession. We're still 
one of the big buyers. We're still one of the big engines of the economic chain. Now, what about countries that are evolving, that are just getting on their feet? Well, there's a gradual way of coming into the World Trade Organization, and the successful countries like the United States and the European Union agree to give a buy, a pass, on some goods, even though these countries are not fully integrated into the World Trade Organization. Why? To see them get on their feet. So we allow them to still have some import taxes, but we don't tax their goods coming in or we tax them less than what they're taxing us to give them a leg up. This is what the European Union has done over the decades and trying to get more of the European nations to come in. And, of course, now there are rules and regs that you have to follow, and the British are bristling a little bit at some of these. and They're not sure that they want to be part of the union, at least not as closely tied as they have been. Now, there are people on both sides of the fence in Great Britain that are saying this is a good thing for British business, this is a bad thing for British business. I think it'll be a wash because I don't think Britain's going to leave completely. They may give up some of their voting rights, but they'll want to retain their trading status with the other 27 European nations. This is almost 600 million people now. I'm sorry, 500 million. 500 million plus. We're 300 million plus. So they're a bit bigger than us. How can they negotiate their way through this? Well, they can't do it in a vacuum. And they can't do it in secret. The World Trade Organization and the European Union says everything has to be up front and open. Why? Because of all the secret interlocking alliances before World War I and all of the secrecy and interlocking economic ties before World War II. It's an attempt to stop the deception that exists between all of the nations and force them to work together. And there's no better way of doing that than having an open dialogue and discourse. And we like that here in the United States. We call it the sunshine laws, and you have to reveal everything except for national security stuff, whatever that is, whatever the president decides that it is, whatever Congress allows him to decide that it is. But we like that, and we like seeing everybody negotiating above the table and not below the table. And it's incredible the amount of corruption that exists in the world. Incredible that we, as a people, have not experienced that, and we have a hard time believing it. But believe me, it's true. I've had people from all over the world work with me, for me, some against me, and they all say the same thing. Corruption is one of the biggest problems outside of the United States and the 
European Union. That does not make for good economic ties, does not make for good relationships, and it does not engender trust. And it's certainly not what the Roman Catholic Church taught me growing up, and it should not be that way in any society, because it doesn't work. It just splits people into tribal bands that fight each other. I had a friend, she was a nurse practitioner, and she was the daughter of two missionaries who had lived in the Congo, Central African Republic, as Christian missionaries, and she was raised there. And she spoke fluent Swahili, or one of the dialects of that area. It was interesting to hear her talk. I really enjoyed it. And I asked her, I said, what's the problem? Why, why can't these people get together? And she said, very simply, when one tribe gets in power, they think this may be their only chance to grab as much as they can and run. And so they do. And so then the next tribe coming in says, well, they took everything they could, so we're going to take everything we can. That won't work. That will not work. Our country's working, more or less, because we have 50 states with open borders. There's free movement, free trade. The laws are pretty much the same. And guess what? It works. We want the European Union to stay together. We want them to get tighter. We want them to have more and closer interactions. And we don't want Great Britain to stray too far away from that. That's my opinion anyway. I think that by having Great Britain, at least in some aspects as part of the European Union, it's a stronger, healthier organization and one that, that we need to encourage because we need the Europeans to be nice we need them to quit fighting on the playground because we don't want to have to come out at the end of recess and break up the fight. And we want to see everybody productive and happy and healthy. You know, it makes for good neighbors, makes for good friends. And most of us are of European descent. So we don't want to diss our, our forebears. We don't want to see them in bad shape. We want them to be like us, for the most part, healthy, happy, productive, on the upswing. Yeah, we have our downs, doesn't everybody? Well, that's my soap opera for today, folks. Next week, I'm going to have a very interesting show. I'm going to have a guy that teaches gun safety on with us. And he's going to tell us how to be safe with guns if you do own a gun. And... That's what we're going to do. Well, I am Dr. Bill, and we do have Can Care Clinic for Canadians and visitors in Bay Area Medical in St. Pete. Give me a call, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. I'm out of here. Thanks, Chris. Happy Sunday, folks. This is Todd Burchard from Burchard Galleries bringing you the 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.